Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, we adore you, Lord. We, your majesty, Lord. Your supreme God, Lord. You are ruler and sovereign over all the earth and over all of us. Lord, we ask you now to just take this time and make it yours. Lord, glorify yourself. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night uh, before Jesus died, the, the night before his crucifixion, crucifixion, um, it was a time when you would think that he would be all wrapped up and concerned about himself, but he wasn't. He had on his heart the men that were with him. All those that had followed him for three years, he was so concerned about them that at, uh, they were his, almost his entire focus that night. And, uh, and we have this recorded because of those men. We have it recorded in his word. We have the faithfulness of his word. We have uh, the supreme, uh, um, I don't know what to say, his, this, this word is everything we know. You know, we are, we are those, not like those who looked on him in the future and said, well, we know he's coming. It's unbelieved in him before he walked on the earth. And then there were these that walked with him on the earth, and then there's us who we haven't seen him, yet we believe. And we will see him face to face one day. Um, in, uh, for, in John chapter 13, he, um, by, by a declaration, by ex- example, um, he teaches them to serve one another. You know, he gets down on his hands and uh, down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. And then in John 14, he tells them, um, I'm going to go away. And where I'm going, you can't go right now, but uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and uh, you know, I, I won't leave you alone. I will come to get you and I'll take you where I am, you know, so that you can be where I am. And then in chapter um, 15, he, he says, while I'm gone, I want you to bear fruit. And just like the branch can't bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth to come and, and uh, teach them all righteousness and show them the things that he's commanded them. And he's going to... Uh, uh, convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, but then he comes to chapter 17. Um, and that's what we want to kind of zero in on here. Um, this is a transition time between his earthly ministry and uh, moving into his intercessory ministry. He's he's going to spend chapter 17 praying um, then he's going to go through this horrific thing the next day, uh, the cross. Um, something you and I can't even imagine. And that's all laying before him. And uh, then from that point on, after he ascends into heaven, it's an intercessory ministry. He's, uh, you know, he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And for that, we can be very thankful because every breath, every heartbeat... It all comes as, uh, you know, as grace from him. And uh, he prays for us every day, all the time, every minute, every hour. You know, the old song goes, I need thee every hour, but I need him every minute. <laughs> I need him every second. And uh, I think we all do. Um, this is a special time between Jesus and his disciples you know, it's kind of an intimate time. He's, he talks to his father, but um, as, as we go through this, you'll realize, and I realize, that a lot of the things that he says during this prayer are not to tell his father anything because his father already knows them. And it's not to inform himself because he already knows them. But it's as instruction. Um, instruction for the disciples. Encouragement for the disciples. And uh, he did this before, um, Back, uh, if you remember, he goes to uh, Lazarus' tomb and Mary and Martha are with him and the Jews are around him. And uh, 
they're about to roll the stone away from the tomb where Lazarus is laid. And I think as Martha says, well, oh, Lord, he already stinketh, you know. He's, you know, we can't do this, you know. She's, he's, you know, he says, didn't I tell you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God? And then he, then he's uh, quite, kind of quiet with his father. And then he says, Father, I know you've heard me and that you always hear me. But for the sake of those standing by, I said it so that they might believe that you sent me. And I think it's the same thing in this prayer in John 17. Um, it's that the disciples might be convinced. It's that they might believe, that they might hang on to what he's given them over these last three years, what he has for them in the future. He wants them steadfast. And I believe that part of this prayer, part of his intention is to encourage them. Um, we've often, I guess we all do it, we all say, well, the Lord's Prayer. Back in Matthew um, uh, chapter 6, and, um, 9 through 13, um, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, we call that the Lord's Prayer, but I think chapter 17 is more of the Lord's Prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. The, the, um, the one back in Matthew is probably the disciples' prayer. That's, um, they asked him, Lord, show us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And so he, he, he gave them those words. Father, our, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, and, and then at the end, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's what he taught them. He didn't mean for them just to learn the little prayer, you know, and, and recite that all the time. But that was a model, you know. These are things you should be thinking about. These are things you should be praying about. Um, so this is more accurately the uh, the Lord's Prayer, but it's sometimes called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. He's our He is our High Priest, um, not like the priests of the Levitical line who went into the holiest of holy once a year with the blood of goats and bulls, but they went in uh, and they had to pray for their own sins and they had to pray for the sins of the people, but not so with Jesus. He was the high priest that went in and he himself was the sacrifice. Uh, he, he took himself and laid himself on the altar. Um, the offerer became the offering. Um, and never has to be repeated. He's, he's done it once and forever. And uh, for that, we can <laughs> we can praise him and and uh, give him the glory forever and ever. Um, in this prayer, we'll find that Jesus uh, prays in the first five verses for himself, and then in verses six through nineteen, he prays for the uh, apostles, the ones that are with him that night. And then he prays uh, in verses 20 through 26. He's praying for you and I. He prays for all of those who will believe. He's praying for his church, the whole bunch, from starting with Adam all the way to the last person um, that believes. So it would be um, a prayer for the church, for his church. Well, let's read. Let's read John 17. If you have it. A Bible and follow along, or if you want to just listen, because there's so many different versions. This is from uh, the New King James. Jesus spoke these words, speaking of the, you know, all the words he's been speaking to them in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and now they're out probably on the on the hillsides of the Mount of Olives, and he's heading for the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to cry out again to his father and then where the, uh, the, the priests and the elders and, uh, are going to come with clubs and staves to take him away, where Judas, the betrayer, leads them to come and get him. And Judas betrays him with a kiss. So um, that's kind of the breakdown here. Let's, Jesus spoke these words, then he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. You have given him authority over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all the things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them, and I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and all All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe me in me through their word. That's the church. That's us. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them just as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So many, so many things in there you just hear repeated over and over. That they might know that you sent me. That's really an important, important thing to Jesus. That you may know that you sent me. That, that they may know that you sent me. Remember these things uh, John tells us in chapter 20, um, verse 30. He says, these things are written that you might believe. And that in believing, you might have life in my name. Um, so as we look through this, um, I'm just thinking of when I was in the service. I don't, I don't know if uh, any young people here would remember that, but uh, it, there were no cell phones, if you can imagine. No cell phones at all. We had, as I remember, we had access to two pay phones, little booths, that, that we could actually get to. Um, uh, in in the base where I was, at least in our area, and one of them was right outside the mess hall, 
And sometimes people would, you know, if you had to make a call, you'd rush through your meal quick and run out there to see if you could get, you know, and reasonably in the line quick, you know, so that you could make a call. But uh, if you waited, the line would be too long and you just say, forget it. And then when you're, uh, when you got to the front of the line, you just, you just hoped and prayed that, um, you, you wouldn't dial your number and go beep, beep, beep. Oh, and so discouraging, so disheartening. Maybe you'd quick hang up and try again real fast, hoping somebody'd pick that thing up. But, you know, if they didn't, then you just had to get out of there and, while you were talking on the phone, there'd always be people saying, get off the phone, you've been there too long, come on, you know, hurry up. So you were always rushed. Um, so it wasn't a good deal. Would have loved to have a, a cell phone at that time, but I didn't. So, um, well, Jesus here is, had a, he has a lifeline. He has a lifeline, uh, many times we read, he, he rose early in the morning and went out into solitude and spoke to his father. Had time with his father. He wanted to connect with home. He'd been away from home for 33 years. And, uh, you know, he, I'm sure he just longed to be with his father again, to be back, um, be back in his, in his home and have things that, like they were. Um, so he would connect periodically with home. He he didn't ever get a busy signal. Father was always pick up the phone and so delighted to hear his voice. And uh, he would, um, there'd never be, you know, a, a no answer or um, you could call any, he could call any time of day. He could call any time at night. He could call, didn't matter if he was out in the wilderness or if he was, uh, you know, in the temple, he could call any time he wanted and connect with his father, connect with home. And uh, he could stay on the line as long as he wanted to. You know, there was nobody rushing him or saying, hurry up now, hurry up. But, uh, well, that same line is available to us. You know, what a what a great privilege, what a wonderful thing prayer is because... At any time, whether we're in the, you know, the strait of our life, whether we're in a real panicky situation, or whether we're just in a time of devotions and, and praise, we can always talk to our Father. He's always there. He's always listening. The phone's never busy. He can pick up anytime, any place, and you can talk to him. And he loves that when you talk to him. He's delighted to hear your voice. And notice in the prayer that, uh, Jesus also speaks a few things as if they've already happened. He says uh, a couple examples here. I have finished the work. He really hadn't. He's got to go to the cross tomorrow, and that's the major part of the work. That's that's going to be a difficult thing. That's going to be uh, something you and I can't even imagine going through that. Um, And he's going to finish. He's going to say it. It is finished. So here he says, I've finished the work. But he must see beyond what you and I see. He sees it as the Father's will and his will, and it will be done. You know, there's no doubt. It'll be done. Um, Verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world. Well, he's right there on the sides of the Mount of Olives. Um, He's in the world. He's, He's right there. He says uh, in verse 22, the glory you have given me, I have given to these men. Um, he's given them glory, um, but not like they're going to, not like they'll receive glory when they see him as he is. Then they're going to be like him. There'll be a time when the glory um, just be, it'll, it'll just be, Awesome and unbelievable. I mean, it'll it'll be incredible. Um, then in verse twenty-four, he says, "They whom you gave that they whom you gave me may be with me where I am." <laughs> Look up, Jesus. There they are, right around you, right now. They're all with him right now, um, and they have been with him. So these are prayers that he sees as accomplished, and yet. 
there still to happen. Um, and so now, the, the the hour. He talks about the hour. Um, you know, so many times we've heard him uh, say, actually six times in the book of John, he uh, there's a situation uh, that gets a little stressful or there's something he's not ready to do or he'll say, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But here he says, now the hour. This is the hour. And I don't think it was an hour. I, I think it's the next three days. You know, there's three days of what he's going to have to go through until uh, until he's raised up from the grave. You know, he's going to go through a tremendous amount. And uh, in Luke, Jesus calls it um, the hour of the power of darkness. This is the hour of the power of darkness. It's an hour. It's a it's a it's a time. Probably, not probably. I think it's essentially. The most significant time in human history. The most significant hour in human history. He's going to the cross. He's going to redeem his people. He will be brutally beaten and crucified and scourged and mocked and and nails will be driven through his hands and his feet. Uh, He will finish the work he came to do. Um, He will say, it is finished. And when Jesus says, it is finished, it is finished. He will destroy the works of the devil. Um, he came to destroy the works of the devil. That was one of the reasons he came. Um, he's going to take away the sting of death. He's going to take away the victory of the grave. Um, he's, he's, he came to abolish death and to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, he will atone for the sins of all those that the, that the, the Father has given him. And he will voluntarily give himself to the grave. And on the third day, he will voluntarily, freely walk out of the grave. You know, nobody put him in it, and nobody's going to take him out of it. He can do that. He said, Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. The reason for glory is that every bit of it is initiated by God, comes from God, and guess what? Every bit of it goes back to God. Every bit of it, every bit of of glory on this earth um, goes back to God, whether it's the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, the glory of the stars, the glory of human beings, the glory of suffering, the glory of prayer, the glory of faith, uh, all the glories that are possible. And... uh, they go back to the Father. And here Jesus says, glorify me so I can glorify you. You know, that's, uh, that's something, uh, well, I think in the, in the, the, the other prayer, the disciples prayer, he says, um, for thine is the, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thine is the glory. Um, he says in a few places, he says, uh, you know, what does it mean, glorify me? I think he's, he's just asking, Lord, give me everything I need to walk through this. You know, I've got, I've got to do your will perfectly. I want to do everything that you sent me to do. And I got this cross ahead of me. I don't know if he's, if, uh, I, I think of this sometimes. I don't, I, I don't take this as scripture. This is my, a counsel of my own brain, but, I'm thinking about this sometimes. Um, if he's um, omniscient, means he sees everything, he knows everything. Um, I picture him sometimes before the foundation of the world, looking down and here's eternity past and here's eternity future and here's time through here. And here's the myriads and myriads of millions of all those who will exist in time. You know, and and he looks down in this little teeny smidgen of time, and he sees himself. Thirty-three years there, he is walking along, you know, going from um, Jerusalem to Copernicus, back uh, back and forth to Galilee, and 
And he's just walking these roads, and he's got these people trailing him. Now he's going to go to the cross. I wonder if he saw the cross. I wonder if he saw all of it before it ever happened. I wonder if he knew exactly what he was going to go through. And that's part of the struggle, maybe. I don't know. I think he could. He knew he'd get through it as the son of man, uh, son of God. But I got to get through it as the son of man. I got to redeem these people. And that that probably was the tough part. And and he's asking God, glorify me, so I can glorify you. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get through. Well, we know he did get through, and and he knew he would get through. But he wants to be perfectly glorifying to his father. And in another place he says, Father, I have glorified you on the earth, verse 4. Glorify me with yourself, which the glory I had with you before the world was, verse 5. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me. Told them that in chapter 16. Um, I am glorified in them, pointing to his apostles, um, by their obedience, by their worship, by their praise, by their suffering. And we are glorified by gazing at him. The more we look at Jesus, the more glory we receive. He tells us that in... uh, um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he said, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, Concentration on Jesus, concentration on his word, constantly looking at him, constantly in communion with him, constantly talking to him. we become changed by his word and by the Holy Spirit. That's a, that, I'd say, is a privilege and a possi- and not just a possibility. Um, so we need to be uh, constantly in communion with him. All glory initiates from him and returns to him. Then, this, then he says, I have authority over all flesh, to give all those that you've given me eternal life. And uh, there were times when the scribes and the elders and the chief priests would come to him and say, who gave you authority to do these things? You know, why do you do these things? Why do you have this authority? I think one time he, um, I remember, um, he says, um, he doesn't answer him, but then he says to them, I'll ask you a question. Right back to them. You know, I got a question for you. He said, uh, was John the Baptist of heaven or was he of men? And then they think about it and they say, well, if, I, if we say he's from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you listen to him? And if we say he's of men, we fear the people because they think he's a, he was a, uh, indeed, a prophet indeed, it says, that he was a prophet indeed. So they're afraid to answer either way. And so they say to him, well, we can't answer that. And he says, neither will I answer you who gave me this authority. But we know who gave him the authority. He says, you have given me authority over all flesh in uh Chapter 28 of Matthew, he says, All authority on heaven, in, he- in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go ye therefore, you know, into all the world. Um, so he has authority. I think in John chapter 10, um, he says, um, what did I say here? He, uh, he said, speaking of his life, he said, no one can take my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. And then he says, this commandment I have received from my father. So he 
He did get this authority from his father. It's the power to lay down his life. It's the power to take it up again. Um, so he gives, he has the power here to give eternal life. You know, I don't think, you know, most of us wouldn't be sitting here unless he had the power to give eternal life. He gives eternal life. Um, uh, what is it? What is eternal life? Eternal life is eternal. How long does it last then? Forever? Forever and ever? It's eternal. Eternal life. Um, do we have to, you know, well, when I die, I'm going to have eternal life. No, you have eternal life right now. If you're in Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus, you have eternal life right now. He makes that clear in uh, John five twenty four, where he says, He, um, truly, truly, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me, there's that, he believe on him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Has passed. Already, it's over, it's done. Has already passed from death unto life. And then in uh, John ten twenty seven, talking about the sheep, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. So eternal life is forever and ever. It's immediate. It's forever and ever. And, uh, he says, no one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. And he says, my father is greater than I, and nobody will be able to snatch him out of his hands. He says, I and the father are one. Oop, that was a wake-up call to some people at that time, I'm sure. I and the father are one. So this, this uh, thing that's repeated so often in the prayer... Believe that I that believe that you sent me. He was sent by the Father. We get this old this picture so often um, from unbelievers, I guess mostly. Um, God is this person, and the the Father is this person in the Old Testament. He's kind of gruff. He's got a long white beard, and he sits on kind of grumpy on his throne, and and uh, he's just looking for a chance to smash you. But Jesus, he's kind and gentle, and he wouldn't harm a flea. And he he comes, and then he's able to kind of talk the Father into receiving us. And I think that's a picture that many unbelievers have. They think that's kind of the way it is. But here Jesus says, I and the Father are one. You know, whoa. And... Uh, it, who, who sent him? The Father. It's the Father that sent him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, he says, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for these you've given me out of the world. And uh, the world, we, we think of the world, well, this little planet or this planet floating around. Um, uh, we think of the world sometimes as, um, you know, the earth. We think of the world as nature. We think of the world as all the people. And sometimes in Scripture, the world can mean different things. And here it means, um, although... He, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him might have everlasting life. He's talking about those that will believe. Those that will believe. That's the world in this instance. And then there's the world in, uh, that Scott read to us. That was kind of a appropriate scripture. Seven, uh, First John 2.15, where he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's the things that got uh, Adam and Eve into trouble. 
you know, lusting after that fruit, you know, uh, lust of the flesh, and it looked good, you know, and if you take that fruit, you'll be as wise as God is. You'll have all that wisdom. Um, kind of tempting. And so they fail and they fall. And how often do we do that? But he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So when he says world in the scriptures, you gotta, you got to kind of go by context and figure out what world is he talking about here. And... Um, How do we receive this eternal life? Um, we receive it by faith, through grace. You know, we are no different than anyone else in this world. We 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 have come out of the world. Um, I think probably the best description of it is in Ephesians chapter two, where he says, "You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin." who formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, um, uh, who had, we we all, he says, had our conversation um, uh, fulfilling the uh, lusts of the flesh and desires of the flesh and the mind, and we were as others children of wrath. We were under God's wrath, and, uh, and he lifted us out of that. Um, David says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay and set my feet on solid rock. That's what he's done for all of us. You know, if we're in here and we know Jesus, that's what he's done for us. Um, But who can come? Can anyone come? Um, he says, no one can come except the Father draw them. If you ever had any inkling to know to know Christ, if you've ever had any any desire in your heart, you didn't come up with that. That was the, the Father drawing you. And maybe there were times when you just felt so drawn and then you walked away from it. Maybe the next time you, you're drawn and you... And then you, you've settled the issue. Um, he won't let you get away. You know he's going to keep putting the pressure on until, until you give up, and surrender, because he says, uh, "All that my Father's given me will come to me. They will come." Um, and then uh, six times, um, six times in this prayer. In, in this prayer in chapter 17, he says, those you have given me. He talks about those you have given me. Um, verse 2, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 12. Those you have given me. Um, where'd the Father get them? Well, verse 6 says they got them out of the world. Those you have given me out of the world. Um, believers are... In the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus said that about the, about his apostles there. He said they're in the world, but they're not of the world. Just like I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And, uh, I'm thinking, uh, um, before the foundation of the world is Jesus is looking down on, uh, um, now, first, first, I, first, I wanted to just say that he did lose one. Remember, he says, "I lost none, but the um, son of perdition." And of course, we know that was Judas, the betrayer. And uh, he did. Um, you know, Judas was the, the absolute perfect hypocrite. You know, he fooled all the disciples. He didn't fool Jesus. Jesus told us back in, uh, in John chapter 6. Again, he said, um, I have not I chosen you 12, but one of you is a devil. And I don't think they thought too much about it at that time. At least it doesn't seem to change their thinking. Um, John tells us uh, that, that uh, Judas handled the purse, you know, for the, the little band of apostles. He, 
He handled the purse. And I don't know why Jesus gave him the purse just because of the temptation, I suppose. He, he had a real temptation with money. And uh, eventually the betrayal comes for 30 pieces of silver. And that 30 pieces of silver, uh, they say today would have been worth about $1.38. Imagine that betraying your Lord for $1.38. wasn't his Lord. Um, he couldn't see... Um, he saw all the healings. He saw all the miracles. He he was there with them every for three years. You know, he followed them around. He heard the teachings. Um, he saw Lazarus raised from the dead, and yet he didn't believe. You just wonder how could that be? Well, um, in Second Corinthians chapter four, it says, "If our gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are perishing." For the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them. In Ephesians uh, 4.18, it says, Having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So Judas evidently was so blinded I mean, you can't even imagine how he couldn't see, how he couldn't know that this was the Christ, but he didn't. And, he, and of course, he betrayed and was the son of perdition. And Jesus knew it all the time. Um, so he, uh, God picked these out special for Jesus. Every one of you that knows the Lord Jesus today have been picked out special for, for a gift from Jesus. For Jesus from God, the Father. Um, I picture again, I, I always get these um, pictures of things. I think of uh, God, again, looking down on, with his omniscience, you know, looking down through all of creation, before creation, before the foundation of the world, into the future. And again, seeing this, um, just the myriads of millions and millions of everybody that will exist all through humanity. And uh, just saying, I'll take you, and you, and you, and you, and I'll take you, and you. And for no reason that we can see. He doesn't, he doesn't choose anybody because they're more righteous than somebody else. He doesn't look down and say, oh, I know that person will trust me. He doesn't say that. He just takes them um, for the good pleasure of his will and for the grace of the glory of God. That's what, that's what it's for. And he he picks out whom he will, and then immediately he writes their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. He says, these are mine. These are marked people. And every one of them is marked for a perfect time and a perfect space. You wonder why you're here today? God put you here. You know, you're here because God put you here. Um, you, you wonder why you live in... Um, Big Lake or Monticello or Elk River or wherever you do, um, because God put you there. You wonder why you weren't Abraham's servant, or maybe you could have been uh, one of the Israelites running out of uh, Egypt through the, the Red Sea, and or maybe you could have been born in an igloo in, uh, up in the Arctic, um, but you weren't. God never makes a mistake. Every single one of these that he's chosen are planted for a specific time and a specific place. So here we are, down in that little teeny, you know, that just that little bloop you see in time. And we go through all the things that he's purposed for us. Um, uh, we do the works that he's purposed for us before time. You know, he made certain things for each of us to do before time. That's the works he wants us to do. And then when we finished our work, guess what? Move on to the next time. I mean, it's the same time, but just the next group. You know, we've had men and, and people in this fellowship with us, and we loved them, and we spent time with them, and they were our friends, and just all of a sudden they're gone. You know, you don't see them anymore. They're not here. Well, they're home. They went home. And all of us, I mean, you know, 
You know, some of us that are sitting here might not be here next week. We don't know. You know our times are in God's hands. And every bit, everyone is a perfect entrance and a perfect exit. Just when he plans for it. Um, so he's chosen them before the foundation of the world. Wrote their names in the book of life. They were totally unfit. You know, as he looked down on them. You know, these this group he's he's uh, picked out. You'd think, well, now maybe they're the perfect ones. These are no, they. All of them were guilt, uh, stained with guilt and sin, and uh, you know, just duck in the muck. You know, and he he picks them out, and he, you know, he says, in in his wisdom and in his will, um, you know, I got to do something about these. These people are not fit to come and live with me. And so then he sends Jesus down into the world to redeem them and make them fit for heaven. Take away their unrighteousness, give them your righteousness. And for that, we praise him. Think of Paul's golden chain in Romans 8, you know, whom he foreknew, he predestined to to, uh, be conformed to the image of his son. And then it says, whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Well, if you look at that, two of those, the, pre, uh, the chosen for new, those he picked out, and those um, that he predestined, that's eternity past. And then come into time, and he calls he calls each of us in his own specific time again. He's got a time for each of our lives when he, he pulled us out of the muck. You know, he, he lifted us out. And uh, I was 29 years old before I, I didn't give a hoot about God one way or the other. And then all of a sudden, in an instant of time, my whole mind, my whole, my whole uh, thinking changed. It just changed in an instant. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. You know, it just... Um, I didn't think about uh, too much about God. I mean, I didn't feel like I hated God. I kind of liked him. I'd talk to him when I needed something, you know, or I'd, uh, isn't that the truth? You know, when you really want something, you, God's there. You know, he's, uh, he, anything we knew about God, we made up. You know, we got it from the, from the culture. Whatever the culture said, well, that's what God is. Um, and I, I, was, I was no different than anybody. And, um, then all of a sudden, God wakes you up. He gives you a whole new life. And now you're going a whole different direction. And can you explain it? No, I can't explain it. I can't say, well, how did that happen? I don't. I didn't even think too much of how it happened, when it happened. I just thought I had a new interest. I had new will. I had new thoughts. Uh, yeah, so God does that. But that happens during time, that call... Um, there's a general call that goes out to everybody, you know. The call goes out, you know. Um, uh, but there's an effectual call that goes out. And that effectual call will draw you. It'll draw you. It'll make you want to be one of, one of God's children. You want to be. And all of a sudden, that uh, effectual call comes. You, we sing, you know, hit, he, he drew me by irresistible grace, but, you know, I'm afraid we, we do resist him for a while, but he, he will win. You know, he wins in the long run for his own chosen ones. He will, he will draw you in. And, uh, in, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, it says, God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. That's the two things that change. He starts to sanctify you, and now you believe the truth, and you begin to get the truth. And where do you get the truth? Right here. In God's word, you get the truth. Um, well, anyway, and God foreknew, he, he um, predestined, that's eternity past, then he calls, effectual call, and those he called, he justified. And he, he's, in John 17 here, he's going to do that work on the cross the next day. That time spent on the cross is going to be our redemption. 
It's going to be our atonement. It's going to be our um, our uh, justification. We're justified, um, a legal term, you know. There's no charge against us anymore. He took away the ordinances that were against us, having nailed them to his cross. And uh, now, now um, he goes to... Uh, whom he justified, he'll glorify. And that's in eternity future, uh, when we'll be glorified, when we see him as he is. That's a, um, that's a great thing. So um, do you wonder if you're one of the elect? You know, people sometimes, oh, I don't know if I can come to Jesus because I don't know if I'm one of the elect. Well, come to Jesus. <laughs> you know, come to him, ask him to save you, confess to him you're a sinner and say, Jesus, please save me. I need to be saved. And he will. Um, guess what? Then you'll know if you're one of the elect. All those that my Father's given me will come to me. And those that come, I'll know why it's cast out. Here's Spurgeon's comment about election. Why he believes the doctrine of election. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God did not choose me, I should never have chosen him. You know, there's no way that I would have chosen God. I didn't even think about God, you know. God was just something you used in a curse word maybe or you, um, you know, you called on him when you needed him. That's about the only thing God was to me. And then... uh, He chose me before I was born, or else he'd have never chosen me. And he must have elected me for reasons that are unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why he should look down upon me with his special love. So I'm forced to accept the great biblical doctrine of election. So, uh, you know, we wouldn't have chosen him, and... Uh, if he didn't choose us before the foundation of the world and he saw how rotten we were, probably he wouldn't have chosen us. Well, that's, that's Spurgeon's comment. His request is, uh, um, in verse 17, is sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. This is the word of God. It's truth. Truth sanctifies um, when truth is taken in by the Holy Spirit, it sanctifies. Um, sanctify means to set them apart for thy service. Set them apart for your service and for your glory. Our lives are for one purpose, to glorify God. Um, we're set apart for him. And we want to be set apart for him. It's our desire. Um, Then he says, I have, verse 12, I have kept them in your name. And then he says, but I come to you. Father, keep them in your name, in your name. And in the, in the prayer in Matthew there in chapter 6, he says, pray like this. Say, our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. The name. Um, I started thinking, well, what's, what's in a name? You know, I will, let's say my friend has uh, this serious something going on in his head and he's been to all the doctors around and all the local doctors and no one can find anything that... You know, anything they can do about it, and he's really troubled. I think we had, when Grace was here, she was somewhat like that. She couldn't find any help in all the doctors. And, uh, you know, I go to this this person and I say, um, I got a friend I think can help you. Probably wouldn't excite my friend very much. I said, well, I got a friend named John that'll help you. No, that doesn't do it. Uh, I got a friend named Dr. John can help you. And that probably wouldn't do it either. And then I got a friend named Dr. John. 
I have a friend named Dr. John who's a specialist. Maybe he can help you. No. I got a friend named Dr. John who's a head and brain and neurospecialist. Ooh, I like that. So maybe, maybe I gave him enough information there. What's in a name? Well, I don't think it's, when we say God, we're not talking about a three-letter word. We're not talking about Jesus, a five-letter word. Um, we talk about all that they are. You know, all that they are. That's, that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. Everything, you know, he's our, our creator. He's our Lord. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our, all these things. That's God. And uh, Jesus says seven times in uh, the book of John, seven times he says, I am. Remember when Moses was um, by the burning bush and God says, go back to Egypt and bring my people out of Egypt. And he says, oh, they're not going to listen to me. He said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them I am that I am sent you. Well, seven times in this book, uh, Jesus says, I am. You know, he says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He that uh, believes in me shall never hunger. He that um, comes to me will never thirst. In uh, chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness. Um, chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And... Uh, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, chapter 10, he also says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters through me, um, he'll be saved, and he can go in and out and find pasture. Uh, chapter 11, he's telling Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me shall never die. And then in chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And then in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. My Father's the vine keeper. Every branch in me that won't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it might bear more fruit. And then in, uh, um, so the name, when we pray to, and we say in Jesus' name, let's remember we're, we're saying in the name of all that Jesus is, our Redeemer, the one who died for us, all that he is. And when we say God's name, hallow that name, you know, hallowed be his name on the earth, all of God. Uh, and fit, we studied all the attributes of God. You know, we studied his omniscience and his omnipotence and his omnipresence and all these, just uh, immutability, all these different things that God is. And that's, you know, when we when we say God, that's what we're talking about. Um, and the last thing he talks about is unity. Um, not... You know, here we are sitting in, in the church at Bethany. You know, we should be going down. The, there's a neighbor church down the road. We should go down and kind of line up a spaghetti dinner with them. You know, and then we could kind of um, get to know them. That might be all right. Um, but, you know, are we, is it our job to build unity? Is it our job to go out and um, kind of put unity together and uh I'm not sure. I don't think that's that's the way God wants. Well, the unity he's talking about is the unity in the spirit. And I think in the church down the road, if we look at it and we say, whoa, they don't seem like they're, you know, it doesn't seem like they're too much in line with our doctrine. But there might be four or five people in there and you get to talking to one and, man, they're right on the same track as you. And that's a unity of the spirit. But... Might not be you're going to find all groups, everybody in unity. But he's talking about a unity in the spirit. Same mind, same heart, same will. Um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, these three are one. 
They're all different personalities. They all have their job to do. They all have um, different authority. And yet they're all one in purpose. They're all one in heart. They're all, all one in will. And uh, they're one in essence. And he says, keep, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. Not go out and make unity, but keep it. Let's not ever be among those that would bring division in the church. That grieves God. You know, God is grieved by divisions in his, in his, in his body. You know, um, his church. He says, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, Paul went into Corinth. They were arguing and fighting among themselves. Some said they were of Apollo. Some said that they were of Cephas. Some said that they were of uh, um, Paul, Apollos, Cephas. He went, no, no, you don't get it. You know, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's it's him that you worship. Not Paul, not Apollo, not Cephas, you know. They all have a purpose. They all have an important job to do, every single member. But um, the, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, division is a, is a grief to the Father. It's a grief to God. Um, and he uses it like there was division between Paul and Barnabas, but God used it. Uh, there was there, there's division that we see in different places, but uh, God seems to use it for His glory. Um, so maybe maybe He causes division at times just to move people. The great desire. What's the great desire of Jesus? You know, in almost all every place we read, He says, "I didn't come to do my will. I don't do my will. I do the will of the Father. I I came." Uh, the words that I speak are not mine. They're the words that my Father gave me. The works that I do are not mine. They're the works I see the Father doing. You know, everything was about his Father. But the one place in verse 24, he says, in my Bible, I'm, I have the King James, uh, well, the New King James. I didn't look to see what it says in the New King James. Okay. Um, Okay, verse 24. Yeah, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me from the foundation of the world. In my old King James, then, it says, Father, I will. It's his will. And this is about the only place that you see this um, in a prayer, in, in any prayer of Jesus is, you know, it's always the Father's will. But here he says, I will. It's my desire, it's my will that these be with me. In fact, it's so, um, he's even, um, he even promised this to his disciples already. He knows that he and the Father are in perfect will with one another. They both are perfect in one will. And he says that they may be with me where I am. Remember back in John 14, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. And here he's praying, Lord, this is what I will. This is the one thing I want. And it's, he knows that it's his father's will too. Um, and uh, that's his final Testament, his final will. You know, when they read the will at, the, at his funeral, they say, that they be with me where I am. All those my Father give me, that they'll be with me. And that's for eternity. That's forever. Um, this will be fulfilled when the church is gathered together as a bride 
dressed in all dressed in white raiment, um, in the righteousness of Christ, um, awaiting the bride, the, the, you know, for the bridegroom to appear, and he steps in, and they're awestruck. Um, here he is in all his glory and all his splendor and all his majesty, and he reaches out his hand and he takes the bride by the hand. And then she'll see him, and she'll be like him, for she shall see him as he is. And that's the promise to us, that Christ will take us back to where he is. Okay, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is a treasure to us, and uh, help us uh, to treasure it more, Lord, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, um, Lord, and to um, to take your word, Lord, as, as, as it's given to us, Lord. And I thank you for that, and uh, we just praise you and ask uh, now that you go with us in Jesus' name. Amen.